0: Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Of Poetry Podcast with Laura Miner. Laura Miner's critically acclaimed debut book of poems, Flowers as Mind Control, won the 2020 John Ciardi Poetry Prize and is published by the University of Arkansas Press 2022. Laura won the ILA's Read It's Of Poetry Award, chosen by Marilyn Nelson, and the Emerging Writers Spotlight Award, chosen by poet D.A. Powell. Laura teaches poetry at Oklahoma State University. Hello and welcome, Laura.
1: Hello. Thanks for being here today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Would you like to open us with a poem? Uh, Sure. poem i don't i don't remember planning it this way but the poem opens with a prayer a a kind of um supplication that started off with something like a hymn and then the book ends with a manifesto and uh trying to think i think when i was getting back into poetry uh I'd taken about five years off in music and Ilya came out with his book, what 2004, five, six, seven, something like that. And mm. he uh, <clears throat> started it with author's prayer. And I think I, mm. that brought me in. So this is called isolation prayer. Said so that you can breathe. The prayer is loose at the top of the world. If the whole world kept still, a prayer would rain humility laughing children the ear bones of keats into a bouquet to give you the hand of your own god we are lost to the cosmos but i tell you in the hour of nobody and the passport of loneliness and in the polar knife edge of loss the body bends and the heart swings back and acts of sighs. feed the dog what she wants give the grieving streets coins and their sister.
0: Thank you. I I love this poem, and I shared it on Twitter, and um, I I think it resonated with a lot of people. Um, I mean, I think the word isolation means something really different to us now than it did oh three years ago or two years, whatever it's been.
1: (laughs) I know, (laughs) and uh, it's it's worked out that way. But honestly, I think I had my well, I, I pre-gamed the pandemic with a lot of isolation before that. So I was pretty comfortable when, uh, well, I, I'm one of the few people who had a pandemic release. You know, It's very few of us. I think, were you in that category too? It was like between you know, spring of 2020 and now basically um, where our books were just kind of like, what do we do? Um, and I was still editing. Uh, when everything started so um it worked out I love it the way it ended
0: Mm. yeah no for real when you said pandemic release um I had just resigned from a job and that was exactly I was like I was like oh did a lot of people you're like it was 20 years ago
1: (laughs) 2020 and then I was like I was a different person (laughs) (laughs) yeah um
0: yeah yeah book release um it's true it's true Um, gather
1: around children (laughs) listen to the story (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, but we're still here we're still here as elaine stritch says i'm still here
0: that is the most important thing that is the most important thing um and i you know right, right before we we started the podcast, we were talking about, um, you mentioned that someone had said to you, you're not a poet until you're over 40. Um, and I just been speaking with someone else about um, how many women have debut books after 40. Yep. And I, I find that really interesting and kind of cool to think about it in terms of, like, I know there's a, a lot that holds people back from getting their books out in poetry publishing, which is a lot of heartbreak, but mm-hmm. also that you, you know, you are working that whole time. You are developing your poetry and, you know, those first books can be just killer when, you know, whenever they yeah. come out, but I feel like when you spent your life, you know, working too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <clears throat> excuse me. And, you know, we still have our, our bodily autonomy to worry about. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, women are busy doing other things. And Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. sometimes it takes, I I just read this last night on Twitter um, where a fiction writer was kind of talking about another fiction writer. And she said, I had to bully myself into finishing this manuscript. He's like, sometimes that's the only way to get it done. And I immediately kind of was like, yes, and then recoiled and was like, yes, I mean, I think. Mm. And for me, it was the same um, structure and deadlines. And, um, you know, I hate to say it, but that kind of small competitive edge that just bleeds through all of poetry um, keeps Mm. you going. And um, Mm. once you're going, it's hard to stop. You have to really stop. I stopped for a number of years, and I know, uh, you know, Joshua Potiot, Sean Singer, Joan Quan Glass, like a lot of people have come and gone from poetry and returned as, a you know, an adult with a whole life behind them. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, you know, that's comforting, because <clears throat> Uh, at the time I was knocking out some really great poems I felt like but I was 23 and um, I wanted to do a little bit of everything and I didn't understand how I only stood I only understood authenticity um, craft was still lost to me um, I was all heart and um, mm-hmm. I think we were just saying that it, it's just like how you gauge poetry and process it. It has mm-hmm. to function on both levels, the heart and the head. And that's the thing we look for, <clears throat> not just investment and in energy and enthusiasm, but uh, I had to have a quieter life to write this book. Um, and so I got a PhD. And while that may seem <laughs> like structure and, mm-hmm. and discipline, it is it is pure chaos. So yeah. I somehow, I don't know, how i eked it out but i did and i think it's because i started thinking um differently about mentorship academia hierarchies other people because you know once you're 40 you just it's, it's like it doesn't matter as much like nothing can hurt me now you know like like i've been through it all so i just kind of blocked everything out and went back and opened the file which is what you do mm. go back and you open the file and you face your demons and um it was delightful to come out of that i keep thinking of the, the green mile you know the movie right so okay so, I had this visualization mantra technique that I would do um, whenever a terrible trauma would come, a curveball or something uh, like a person. Um, where I would, I brought Jolie Holland, the songwriter, to my class at Pratt. And we were talking about this as far as songwriting, but I would breathe in. All of that black stuff that he would come out of his mouth, I would kind mm-hmm. of like inhale it into my mind and then oh, kind of Harold and Maude like greet the day with the, with the breath. I'd blow it out and I would see little red hearts. So I was taking all this bad energy and kind of meditating it through my body into something yeah. um, more like a fight song. Um, so excuse me, this book became um, anthemic to me, mm-hmm. like a mm-hmm. youthful anthem where I would go and open it and go, yeah, come on, let's go, let's turn this into love. Um, I think I was talking about that too with, um on the heels of my former life, <laughs> I was reading the John Anderson Milky Way book and the secret to poetry is cruelty, you know, when you first come across that, I think everybody that goes through the machine is just like, what? I don't know, I don't know how I feel about that, you know, and I, I inherited it and I thought about it and I decided not to take it and to process it differently. And I was in Khadija Queens two day kind of workshop Mm -hmm. and online and I brought it up and she was like, no, 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 it's love. It's love. And so I kind of ran that through my fingers in this book as Mm -hmm. well, trying to take all the badness, all the cruelty, all the predation and um, toxicity that Mm. you come across in the world, not just in the poetry world in everything and make it come out the other end, um, with some, with some teeth, but also something to keep you warm.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I really loved how you talked about how you were all heart, Um, and then that learning the craft, you know, then that became the next task. And, Because when I think back to my own early, like MFA days, I was all head. And Uh (laughs) it's like, it was just like, I was totally about form. I was totally about meter. And I mean, I've met form and meter and was like, this is God. I love this. I love the order. Like I love everything ordered. I mean, I'm a high.
1: Oh, Fussell
0: is. No, for real. I read Fussell was like, yes, like. Um, but I, you know, I also didn't understand. I was a highly anxious person. So if, if you can give me a form and everything really certain, as certain as possible. And the thing is like the, the more I live and, you know, thank God, like we're alive. This is good. Um, but it's, it's less and less certainty. There's always less and less certainty. Um, and it's the, it's the things that are, there's so much outside of your control. Um,
1: and Thank Dolly Parton for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and that even that word is just. I try and tell you know anyone that asks me, um, don't be intimidated by the word craft because mm-hmm. it can be intimidating. And really, you're just learning some moves. Think about it like dance moves, you know. Mm. And, and like, I like that. And you know, it, it's just a, a container. You know, and like your personality will come through in the things that you do, and every poet has these mm. little things they do, and that's why we love going into these books. There's so many mm-hmm. because you kind of—it's like you know, everybody's dancing, and then somebody comes in, popping and locking, or they're doing like a ballet move, or they're <laughs> they're doing like a wild leap, um, and you're just like, look what they can do! Look at that! Like how cool mm-hmm. that is! I want to mm-hmm. learn how to do that robot versus my, yeah, robot. you know.
0: Absolutely. Um, I think it's really cool that you mentioned like being influenced by Elia Kaminsky with the author's prayer and then your opening isolation prayer. And I think it's, it's a really cool way to begin a book with a prayer um, that oh, seems so right.
1: It's what, it's what, it's what brought me back. And um mm-hmm. You know, I had my favorites. We all do when we're young. At the time, Larry Levis was God. um, And it was terrible to be a confessional. You were kind of, it was almost like an insult, you know, in the late 90s to be um, Plath-esque. And
0: Mm -hmm. uh, that, everything
1: changes. It always changes. And, Mm -hmm. um, but I I think that author's prayer did bring me back. And um, he was a really nice person. I was kind of obsessed with Marina Svataeva. And, Mm -hmm. And I saw him at breadloaf and took a class with him. And I was like, oh, I'm so into spatia, I can't wait. I should get it. He's like, you won't, you'll never truly understand it. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> And he said, Well, because you don't read Russian, and my little heart was just broken. And like, oh. <laughs> And then I was like, "It's okay, man. Because I'm here to play. I'm gonna learn Russian, <laughs> and I'll see you when I know Russian."
0: Yeah, no, for real. Oh. <laughs>
1: and to this day, I have not learned Russian. Uh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he he did, and I think that there has to be a welcoming thing mm-hmm. that turns you around. At the time, mm-hmm. I've been. Uh, I was a musician and I was on the road and singing and writing my own records aside from the record that was signed and, um, making that record while getting a master's in women's studies down South and promoting the first record. And so I just started writing on, um, cocktail napkins and Mm. grocery bags and like anything like, you know, we just have this shameful collection of like unfinished journals in our world. And like, so I'd grab like a journal someone gave me 10 years ago and like write a poem in that and then rip the page out. And I ended up with essentially a garbage bag of huge garbage bag filled with poems and notes that I just not developed. So like you were saying, like we never, We don't stop. There's nothing Mm -hmm. shameful in taking a break and doing it differently, approaching it from a different perspective. Um, And when I went back into that world of, (laughs) we all know this world where you're giving your pawns to someone, a group Mm -hmm. of people, like a workshop, and they sit down and the first thing they do is get that pen and just start carving it up, you know, and looking at it. And it's an energy. And I made a pact with myself that I wouldn't do that, that I would just kind of read these poems for pleasure a few times Mm. whenever you get a new book and then go and kind of look at what they did. But I still have that garbage bag. It's in my office that I have not unpacked since I got my first job. I've never made an author photo yet either. I haven't had time. It was like PhD and life was just boom, boom, boom. And then pandemic. And then Mm -hmm. I'm here now with you. And this book is out. And it's only really been out. It had three release dates because of the pandemic. And the, the truly official one, I think, was when Amazon took it on in January 7th or something of this year. So it's, you know, it's nine months old, nine yeah. and a half. Um, and I've already got the second one, you know, sitting here kind of tapping its fingers. And the third one has, it's, it's got files. There's lots of files. And mm-hmm. I'm sorting through them and that uh, you just keep going. I remember like Diana Ross saying this. I love her so much. She was just like, you know, you're working. If you're working, mm-hmm. you're not thinking about what you've just done. You just keep going and keep working. Yeah. And, I, and you know, the whole John Lennon thing, like life happens while you're doing that. And so mm-hmm. at one point, I realized I have to uh, promote this. And um, it was still, it was still hard for me, uh, you know, I was going through a lot and a, a lot of things happened at once between like 2016 and 2020. And so my, like I said, I pre-gamed the pandemic <laughs> with a lot of isolation and trauma and all of mm-hmm. stuff that, you know, makes you change what you're doing in this world yeah. to, to do it better. And yeah. um, I ended up hiring an outside editor that I didn't know, his name is Sean Singer. And, you know, it turns out he's good. And (laughs) And it was nice because he was the same. You know, we just like Mm. to talk on messenger every day, pretty much still. And we don't um, really talk to many other people. And he is so whip smart that he turned my book around in something like three days. Um, Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, "This is a friend. This is a good person." And so, um, he actually gave me the title.
0: I wanted to so, ask you about your title.
1: Yeah, well, you're getting the first round. Yes. <laughs> only you can only hear it here. <laughs> um, yeah, Massive content. I was, I was just thinking about that. It had uh, well, you know, the band Boy Genius. Uh, it was called Boy Genius, and then there was a band called Boy Genius, and I was like, man, I was like, I not like, I kept thinking it's okay, like, because Sean was like, like, there's a band, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, damn you, beautiful women, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so um, I had to change it, and I was freaking out, and you know, it, it was going to be from a line in a different poem called Mercy's Hardware. Um, I think that's from That's a line from one of my poems in this book and, and he was like no no it should be called Fly- flowers mind control and I was like that's that's, that's such a tender and a horrible moment of a poem that I wrote when I wrote that poem for it to be the title to the title poem mm. I would just keep thinking about it and he's like no not if you turn it around and I'm like yeah okay so um I think that might have been the turning point you know mm where Mm -hmm. like I started to kind of realize what I was doing was uh, turning grief Mm. uh, into healing and healing into some sort of fight song. And, you know, my, my youthful anthem finally being heard, but um, Mm. I'm just rambling. (laughs) No,
0: thank you for, thank you for kind of, you know, taking that and talking to us about it. Um, how did you how did you find Sean Singer as an editor?
1: I think it's anyway, like two, two poets find each other, especially like I was friends with, uh, you know, other poets who were grown and gone from poetry because I think we had kind of a, mm-hmm. you know, like a, a kinship there where mm-hmm. we weren't the hot young things and we weren't yet establishment poets who, you know, we weren't like the kind of people that you would pay a lot of money to. We were somewhere in the middle coming and going like this weird cabal of like Gen X, like kind of like black hooded, just like the spectacled. like we didn't fit anywhere. And so, um, yeah, I think we just started talking is what happened. Mm -hmm. And we were going to go to, meet up at awp and then he was beginning his editing service and um you know he was so cool so nice and so generous about poetry and he's he did the opposite that i did with my time gone from poetry he just was amazing he was doing reviews and you know interviews and writing and publishing in different presses and um when i'm gone i'm gone like i was I was listening to music and trying to learn instruments and um, you know working s- what's adjacent poetry adjacent. Uh, mm-hmm. But I still had this small. I remember I was on tour and I had my little books, my stack of books, and things weren't going well. And one of my my bandmates was like, "Why do you even have those? You're not even reading them." And I was like, "I've read them a lot." <laughs> I was like, "They're." are mine they are a comfort to me and i want them close to me and that i think when i verbalized that that might have been the moment where i realized that i needed to come back to poetry mm-hmm. that everything was was completely flipped um, like a you know like a bad sentence you have mm-hmm. to just flip the clauses yeah so yeah
0: yeah no that's That's really interesting to hear. I mean, I asked I asked about how you met Sean because, you know, there are there tons of different organizations and professional services and and ways you can find about about freelance editors. He
1: was friendly. All that,
0: all that good stuff.
1: He was just friendly. That's
0: great. So you kind of met organically, and
1: yeah. Um, and I think we have a very similar sense of humor. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. so we were exchanging jokes and memes and ifs and um Mm -hmm. making each other laugh and you know there was a lot of space balls and seinfeld and like all kinds of stuff and um he's a new york
0: poet too right
1: yeah yeah i spent a lot of time in new york too and um he was writing his book now that's a big success and um i don't know we um we understood each other uh, Mm -hmm. in a very crucial time for both of us and made each other Mm -hmm. laugh and finish our books and um, yeah, uh, he understood the New York poems, and he had had some time in Florida, so it was nice. And you know, we had never met, so having in person mm-hmm. ever. So um, I mean, now we have, but we at the time we didn't. So uh, I trusted him mm-hmm. in a way that I've never trusted another poet, um, because mm-hmm. he wasn't my director, he wasn't, mm-hmm. my, yeah. you know. Tom Lux or Marie Howe or Billy Collins or Intisaki or Gerald Stern or <laughs> I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of all the poets I've worked with, um, you know, he, and so I, I I trusted the process I think yeah. because he wanted to do it I wanted to do it we were both just kind of sitting around figuring out how to do it and um, I actually hired an assistant because I was so afraid of submitting my work into the world back as far as like 2018 19 and i would pay them all my money to sit with me for like four hours and make me submit oh wow (laughs) and i and they would sit would give them access to everything and they would submit or too so i didn't actually i don't remember applying to this contest (laughs) that's amazing (laughs)
0: I, but That's my amazing. friend,
1: my friend who was my former assistant wow. Lucy does. She's like, it's in your duotrope. But I'm like, <laughs> Wow. I know so, but I remember a lot of them I didn't get. And um no. I think it was like 15. I was a finalist, semi-finalist or honorable mention 15 times. Oh my and it's inaugural year. And then wow. <clears throat> I met <laughs> via the grace of everything, John Hodgin. I, I didn't even know his name. And um, you know, I won this thing. And I, I was so I did I was so uh, thankful that I didn't know how to thank him. And um so I waited and waited and I was in my st- my pandemic cocoon and Mm. like everyone and i would run out of things to watch and I was watching NCIS with Mark Harmon (laughs) because the structure of those crime shows helps Mm. me write and revise because they're so methodical and Mm. um, I always like to have stuff playing either music or um, film uh, in the background when I'm doing everything or writing or revising and So, you can pluck something out of the ether, whether it's you know Frodo or (laughs) a detective show or you know um, something, you know, hurt locker, (laughs) just kind of grab an image and keep going. But, um, so I finally eked out an email to him, um, and Sean was like, You have to do it. I was like, I know, (laughs) I know. So I, I was like I'm watching NCIS. thank you you've changed my life <laughs> and he was, he was so gracious and tender about it and then uh you know I think he got the poems which yeah you know it's so weird You you have a book it's so weird when somebody tells you what your book is to you mm. and you've mm-hmm. never met them and how it affected them and I think he says somewhere in it, it's almost like she wants to marry us all. And I was like, I do. I want to marry all of you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a beautiful introduction. Um, It's it's so warm and uh, so obviously engaged um, with your work. And I mean, and not only this book, but I love how it closes when he says, welcome, Laura Miner to this broken fractal of a world that sternly measures us and still somehow offers chance for growth and self-awareness your poems are strong and vibrant and necessary I already return to these poems for sustenance and await with true anticipation the poems you are working on right now which <laughs> I was like oh it extends beyond
1: this book like that
0: is such a beautiful introduction
1: yeah I mean I think that's the kind of that's what I look forward to. I look forward to getting mm. older a lot these days. And mm. <laughs> one of the things I think about, well, privacy, solitude, it's just built in to aging, so I love that. Wow, but um yeah, but also having space from your younger self, mm. and now that I'm teaching, um, kind of watching that process from afar, you, you know, watching the student that thinks they know everything about poetry, or the student that knows they know nothing about poetry. Or the the genius who is just sitting in the corner writing, not paying attention to anyone, <laughs> or you know the, the the fiction writer who thinks that you just start to notice mm-hmm. like yourself and um, all the beautiful young people that come along, and um, yeah, I look forward to getting to that point where uh, you can help someone, you know, like with their yeah. first book. You know, yeah, help them and it changes their life
0: yeah
1: um, no matter what age they are because as we we've, we've said you know women are still dealing with the the job of being heard mm-hmm. uh, as human and so um and seen as human yeah it's oh, i better read a poem i would love that there. <laughs> i would love
0: that it was Wondering if maybe you wanted to read Flowers as mind control, but uh-huh. if there's another poem you would like to, please do. They're so nice. I
1: read it. I had not. I read it a wow. while. Um, so I guess the origin story of this poem is that uh, I had a friend who broke my heart as a friend can do and only as a friend can do. It wasn't romantic and so... The betrayal, and I was in a really tough spot. I was dating someone I didn't love, although I love them now. Um, and uh, I was in that in that moment where you're just alone with yourself. It's a terrifying moment. Um, I had my little dog there, um, Myrtle. Rest in peace. Um, Myrtle was uh, sitting there and so that's, that was it. I was just grasping to how you heal from the first blow that you felt Mm -hmm. in a while, you know. Um, So here is Flowers' mind control. Mm -hmm. I want the good Parmesan, the thinly shaved stuff they keep in the cheese cooler that stands alone. This morning I wanted to kill myself but I can't get to New York for a last slice. So this Parmesan will have to do. I look at Myrtle, my dog that will not let that will not go when it's been storming. Even it's been days. I thought you saved me once. I should get the good cheese for you who are weirdly afraid. I could feel the silence that belongs to everyone as I pulled into my very last parking spot. I've been crying for a time and the rain made the town bloat like a fresh bun. And then the cute man I saw the other night at the bar walked toward my car. I will say the flowers here in Tallahassee are really something. I use them as nostalgic symbols for when my brain and my heart were calm. When I used to watch my brother fall asleep on a blanket my mother made from velvety scraps. And it was always in front of a sliding glass door while it rained. If the cute man walks into the store now. Just a pair of passing, pair of downcast frames. I'll go home, do all the things I have to do, and make sense of this phantom moment tomorrow. But he passed the store and kept walking. It's funny how we haggle away our most precious gifts for stories of romance fumbled down like a game of telephone. I bought a tomato and drove home. I thought about my cousin who overdosed in the seaside motel. How awful we are when our cards are pressed to the level of dread. The last time I felt like this, I was buried in the specifics of a bagel I shared with a friend. And he told me that I really needed to get laid. At this point, you're thinking that I have a problem with food, but I don't. And this age is troubling enough for a person to strap an explosive vest to their body and pull the rip cord on everyone's misery. I'm not going to kill myself. I'm certain that by tomorrow I will be a great person. I'm someone, a rare flower. I have pictures to prove it. Thank you. It's an incredible poem. Uh, I'm sorry I fumbled there a little bit, but um, like I said, I haven't read it in, in, in a while and it's uh, it's great. It actually feels so good because you're like, I survived that. I survived that day, that horrible day when like somebody just for no reason, just throws an ax right at you yes. and it's kind of like, ah, yes, I've been in my hands. Um, yeah. Yeah. And this, this book kind of goes back and forth between those feelings of, uh, you know, resilience and strength and affirmation mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. prayer. Um, Uh, a call to the universe to help me through and then you know just when you're in the shit
0: yeah yeah so may I request that you read another poem absolutely (laughs) um on page 28 drinking to excess after much has gone wrong and if there's another poem you want to read before or you want to read a different poem that is fine too
1: Oh, no. I i mean, I have never read this one. And so it's interesting. My mother probably still has that expired and expired bottle of lemon juice slouching in the side of her refrigerator door. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you do that with, with, yeah. with, with your older loved ones. I'll go in and when they're not looking, I'll clean out the refrigerator of expired things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope they don't notice. Forget now. But um, <laughs> <laughs> she does have this gorgeous uh, Meyer lemon tree in the backyard, and I think that's probably where this started. Was um, uh, they have happy hour promptly at five o'clock <laughs> today uh, with my grandmother too, <laughs> and the uh, neighborhood uh, elders will come and stuff. And so I was getting some lemons. I love Meyer lemons. They're so sweet and. Um there's something about a lemon tree that's just mm. oh, gosh, I don't know. It's so it's so decadent, right? Yeah. It's the most decadent thing to have a basket full of ripe Meyer mm. lemons. And so I like decadence. And so <laughs> <laughs> that is the next one. And so I wrote this. I'm gonna read it now and then I'll just be done. With it. All right. Uh drinking to excess after much has gone wrong. When I see a lemon tree in bloom each golden orb plucking the lamplight from the trees. It reminds me of vodka on ice and how odd that I never thought of lemonade. It's milk droop swirl opposite the sweat. Instead, I see gutted rinds curled like stretching dancers across the starburst of the cutting board. Lemon stripping naked of the fat and lies down to the slow mend of thigh and femur. Lemons can end your grief's tin spinner in one determined squeeze. I think of the backup bottle of pre squeezed juice slouching in the refrigerator door and how I survived some of the bad days only when they were met with a few sharp slaps of lemony reset. It's best to mature and finish the job of ripening instead of flashing through life like a cheap jewelry sale. Until then, I wait and give in. Wrestle the dog with her pill, always on the 20th. Steady as checking the thermostat, or that first moment you turn off the lights when leaving a room to save money, or check the knobs on the stove so the place doesn't burn down. Thank you.
0: The line, it's best to mature and finish the job of ripening.
1: Well, and yeah, that's... uh... That's what you're doing, right? You mess up when you're young, you develop a way, to, uh, <laughs> you develop a way to cope with your trauma, and then you get older and you mature and uh, you deal with your trauma, and then you don't need to cover it up anymore. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If only I'd known. Have you been reading my diary? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. No, I you know. I often I often think in film, and I thought I, for at one point I wanted to be a cinematographer because mm. of the Ellis Brother's song, and uh, I like cameras, I like photography, and um, I don't know. One day I was uh, I was watching that film about the guy who started Hustler. Larry something um and he's talking to Courtney Courtney of Curtin and Courtney and she's on heroin and he's on heroin and he's got a very serious injury and he says, "Well, I I don't need the heroin anymore because I got fit. I got I had surgery or I'm better or something." And I remember it kind of clicked over in my head. Uh, you know, that's whatever your choice is of of poison. That's kind of that moment where Mm. you you ripen and mature and you can get EMDR therapy and Mm -hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy and run and bike and yoga and power bar, whatever you do to kind of get through that thing Mm -hmm. and face your demons. And then all of a sudden, uh, a title like Drinking to Excess After Much Has Gone Wrong, which feels kind of clinical and removed. It just becomes the thing. It's like, that's what I did yeah. to deal with the horrendous amount of drama and pain mm-hmm. that was kind of being thrown at me. And I'm not any different than anyone else. I mean, I remember I, I was kind of shocked because you're in such a haze when you're not dealing with it but you're coping and you're covering and you're masking that when this book was in the hands of an editor, his name is Ben at BKMK and he is so good and so nice and so patient. Um, He, well, at the beginning, you know, they have these ISBN numbers Mm -hmm. like a little thing where they have to give ISBN, like the thematic, the the core thematic content. And, it's like family relationships um, and then it was like alcohol and education and travel and I was like what I was like it's not about alcohol and he was like well it pops up quite a few times in the book and I'm like no it doesn't whatever you know <laughs> like you do you do it okay fine like take um, it, yeah. it Happened, Ben I was mad for a second <laughs> I was like just do whatever you're going to do. Yeah. Been through it. And yeah. then I, when I read the book, and I was like, I'm going to count, I'm going to count how many times alcohol appears. And I was like, well, it's fair. It's and it's fair. It shows up there too.
0: <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> but um I, I just said, have that. At it. And then, um you know, now that you're, when you start to write a new book, and I'm writing new poems and get them mm-hmm. published, um it's, it's nice to read through them and just say, you know, there's, I think there's one poem called like the last hangover that's coming out uh, soon. And, you know, it's just, you snap your fingers and you're done. It's just like, like, I still have a drink with friends, but um, I'm not medicating. I don't have, I don't have the reason to anymore. I'm happy. Uh, I've moved on. I love my new poems. Um, and I was in a terrible environment too, and that has everything mm. to do with it. And most of my friends that have, have like recovered from some like, cocaine or whatever, um, a lot of it has to do with extrication. So mm. just yourself from the environment you're yeah. in and, and walk away from toxicity, and mm-hmm. you know, that's that. It's just you, you're no. I. It's funny. I even when I was reading this, I haven't want to I haven't tasted vodka in like three years just because I'm so disgusted by it and Mm. um it doesn't interest me at all and I I I told a friend that recently in New York and we're talking about something she said oh have a French 75 with me and I was like oh that's uh let me think I used to bartend gin champagne and lemon juice right I was like okay so she was like because we've been friends for 25 30 years and she was like well what were you drinking at, you know, when you were in school? And I said, I, don't, I guess I just drink what everybody else drink. Um, I was too, I was too hurt to really make any choices. And mm-hmm. um, I was, I was losing people to suicide, to brain cancer, um, sexual assault, yeah. uh, prison, Lyme disease. Mm. <laughs> it just kind of kept coming. Yeah. And, um, I admit it, I was like, you know what? I don't even like the taste of it. I don't even like, she goes, vodka soda? It's a scam. And I was like, I know, it doesn't taste good. And so then we enjoyed our French 75s.
0: Yeah, it makes me, it makes me think of that, um, oh, that C.D. Wright poem. It's on like the lives of poets or, and she just talks about how many things there are. Um, oh, here it is. From the obscure lives of poets. How many things are kind of predators on poets, basically. That yeah. Yeah. Um, there's not that many of us that, Um. I don't know. I kind, I currently, I might change, but I currently lean into the, like, almost all the poets I know were people who as children were told, like, you're too sensitive. You're being too sensitive. Um,
1: (laughs) Cover up bullying.
0: I know. Exactly. And, um, and I think there are a lot of really sensitive, um, sensitive I think, that, I think you have to, you know, and I, I don't think it's about maybe sensitive is the wrong word, but I do think it's about openness and tenderness, which, you know, uh, D.A. Powell says of your book, um, he calls your poems tender and awake to what's possible. Um, and I thought tender and awake. I love those two together because I feel like um, tender, tenderness has kind of become a little bit of a like, I think we know what we're talking about when we use it, but we use it a lot. So it's nice to hear it kind of, um, inflected or modulated, like like what, what goes along with your tenderness? Like, okay. So if a lot of us are invested in a project of tenderness, like what is it in your work? Right. Um, and I think that
1: awakeness
0: is, is really important. Um, you
1: In- don't really have a choice. At some point, mm. you're forced to be awake because mm-hmm. you're forced to survive and protect yourself. You know, and um, when you're young, it's it's nearly impossible to do that. Yeah. Um, but I think people smell it on you, especially when you've already been hurt. Mm-hmm. It's lay. It's like a, you know the thing with like the layers of onion. Yeah. You know, like just peeling it back. But like, uh, you know, collapsed immobility and re-traumatization and those things happen when you've already been in a, in a position to be knocked down it's like whenever you see somebody being beaten up on television right it's like once they're down people just come around and start kicking and and it's sad it's sad that we do that you know mm. um but I think that in a way once it happens one time it's never going to happen again right? Because you get up and you're just kind of like, okay, well, you know, Bobby Womack, like nobody wants you when you're down and out, um, mm-hmm. that kind of a thing. And you you find some way, like I, I've always been a really big, huge fan of the Rocky franchise. Mm-hmm. And, and so everything in that moment for me became uh, became a montage, you know? And yeah. I just kind of started fighting and um because if you don't then your story just gets told by other people and they lie and mm. um yes yeah, true yeah it's so true <laughs> and you don't think it. I never thought it when I was little I was like oh you know I I would never think in a million years that that would happen in poetry but it does and so um yeah I really really adore T.A. Powell and mm. um, Everything he says and does makes me laugh. <laughs> and it feels he feels tender and awake to me. So yeah. I'm glad he saw it in me. Mm. If
0: that, if that's what it Absolutely. And and since we were talking some about um just like sensitivity, but also big, big emotions, right? Um and I think I really I really love that you framed it this way when you brought it up earlier and you said, you know, your poem opens with a hymn and closes with a manifesto because both of those things are really both of those forms and um and kind of themes are are really big-hearted forms. Like they're kind of they've got they've got some purity to their expression. And I don't mean purity in like a gross way, but in like a beautiful way. <laughs> Cause it's like one of those <laughs> words, you gotta be careful, you know. Um, you know, like when you say like that's pure. Like that's the that's the kind of purity I meant. Um, but okay, I had this question because um, you had a, a great publisher's weekly review of flowers as mind control. And, you know, they they close it by saying readers will enjoy minor's fierce, unabashed voice. Um, and now I'm going to say something. <laughs> I'm going to say something a little snarky, which is that, you know, publisher weekly reviews don't have the reviewers name on them. So. Yeah, they're kind of cowardly. I'm just going to say that. Um, But one of the reasons I call it cowardly is because they'll make a criticism and there's no speaker to speak back to. So if I write a review of your book, and it's in a journal, then, you know, I'm, my name is behind what's being said. (laughs) Anyways, I'm, I'm being snarky here because I'm a reviews editor and I just, I love reviews and I love criticism um
1: yeah. I didn't like it at first um it's... my bin was mm. like oh you know I'm happy with it it's not and I was like let me see it <laughs> so I so, was so mad and like so I read it and I was like I don't like this person it sounds like a man <laughs> like, <laughs> and like I love how they tried to I mean you know I I am pleased with it because it's just it's like mm-hmm. somebody scared enough to read my book and everything but there was something about the wording like well she has poems about men and women I was like what are you trying to out me like (laughs) I was never in (laughs) and like there was just something kind of like pointed in the wording Uh, yeah I kind of glossed over that moment yeah and I just kind of was like okay um well whatever Uh, oh I remember what it was they were like oh she has Military metaphor.
0: This is what I wanted to bring up. Okay, okay. So the the sentences. Like,
1: There's two. There's two. You, that's all you can find wrong with it. There's two.
0: Well, is it okay if I read it out loud that sentence?
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. So here's here's the here's the critic in me that wants to just go at him. Okay. In other <laughs> moments, a habit of describing emotional experiences with military metaphors, and then in parentheses, landmines and advancing tanks, among others feels slightly too familiar okay <laughs> all right all right i like this is literally my field you know i have a i have a phd in in you know poetry and um it's you know a scholarly phd i've spent a lot of time in 17th century poetry and forward oh,
1: nice.
0: so i have a, i have i think a decently long view I understand that there are certain tropes, and you know, rivers of blood, and there, there are all kinds of things. But um, a, I did not walk away from your book with an overwhelming <laughs> sense of military figurative language, and b, that's not. Wait, I was like, wait, what? Military metaphors are 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 used to just are used to describe emotional experience in a cliche way I was like "What? Well, I don't know I don't, I don't see that um but also you know I had a poem I've- published this morning called self-portrait as a dreadnought
1: oh, so,
0: <laughs> so I'm like telling myself here but I'm also like
1: you know up in arms a little bit I guess um <laughs> I know then I started thinking like do I do that because it puts me in the bed and I'm like was I looking down the barrel of that thing or like extricating yourself from the language of violence? And I remember right after that review came out, I had, I had an interview with the air force Academy, <laughs> which was just, oh, really? Years. but uh, I was trying to get, you know, like learn how to, oh, yeah. uh, how to interview with mm-hmm, anyone. Mm-hmm. And cause nobody teaches you that stuff. They just kind of, you get your PhD and they throw you out and like, yep. like get a job, make yes. us look good. And um there's not a there's not a very kind birth between the the two points oh, of life there and i just truth. felt like mm-hmm. um velvet underground being interviewed by nuns or something like i was just kind of like well i ha- i do have two military metaphors <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> <laughs> for that cell but you know, they didn't, yeah. they didn't. Yeah, Yeah.
0: it's, it (laughs) was really, it was really, I don't know. Okay. Cause I get that they're working in a really small space. You know, these reviews are really micro. I, in my opinion, I know I'm like a long form person anyway but they're short, they have to, which means, you know, compression is their best friend and they need to use this, you know, verbal real estate as best as possible. And yeah, um, so it means every, every sentence is under more pressure and you yeah. just know that. And I'm, I'm just being a little picky right now. I get that, but, um, it just, it was really funny to me because I mean, with the title flowers is mind Control." With how much I get a lot of New York school from your poetry, um, I was that was one of my questions. was like, what are you, who are your influences? Because,
1: um, mm.
0: you know, you do you have lots of different influences in your book, obviously. <laughs> um, and it, I was interested hearing about Sean Singer because I was like, ok, yeah, I, I there there's an exuberance um to your poems, and um a, How do I want to put this? Almost like an uprootedness in terms of sources and text and art and the things you want to call about, like you call upon what you want to call upon. And for me, that is very New York school in some sense. And that's obviously my particular probably narrow reading. Um, but, but I would, if you want to tell me, no, not at all. I'm also happy to hear that. So,
1: no, I mean, I'm a fan definitely. Um, and I spent a lot of time there a lot. Um, I think I came and went four times before I left for good. And, um, you know, I, at the time I wasn't reading Sean, I didn't really know his work. Um, because I'd been gone for so long, Um, it was more of an editorial relationship. And then we started discussing influences. And um, well, you know, you know, obviously, Frank O'Hara is somebody that um, I think about, because that flippant humor, that casual cafe sitting. um, I always liked the the French poets and the Russian poets. And so the the heaviness Mm -hmm. comes from the Russian poets and the Humor comes from the New York poets and the French poets, and um, I don't know. I guess uh, uh, well, I didn't realize it, but when you're young, you read a lot of dark stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. And I remember
1: at one point in my MFA, Pat Rosal was like, "Why are your poems so dark?" <laughs> and I was like, "They're they're just real." I don't know. I mean. Mm-hmm you know, uh, I guess the youth is dark. And so, um, and how we cope with all this, you know, our brains aren't formed yet and we're just impulsive. um, Mm -hmm. Larry Levis was dark and he was kind of the hip thing in the late nineties when I first started and narrative poetry was God. Um, Mm. And, oh, just happened. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, then I left and I wasn't, and people weren't reading women. Mm -hmm. It was, it was upsetting. I went to a Dennis Johnson reading when a Jesus son became a film. And of course, like every young aspiring um, auteur was there in their finest clothing and everything. And he was opening for Gene Valentine. And I was like, um, uh, kind of want to see both and what a weird reading this is going to be <laughs> <laughs> and, like, David Berman's book had come out and everybody was like oh it's so cool and wow. you know so I went downtown and um Dennis Johnson read and like 500 white hipster guys got up and left and oh my god poor little jean valentine sitting there i was like i'm here for you wow. I'm here for you, girl. and oh, i felt wow. like throwing air against the wall i was so angry mm-hmm. um but that's that was the time you know that was mm-hmm. what people were into i guess i don't know and um i just made it a point like at this point i'm going to read women poets um and I kind of fell in love with Marina Svataiva because she broke the back mm-hmm. there. Like mm-hmm. everybody was, she, I even cut my hair like hers for a little while. It's oh, In wow. um, one of my, my passports, I have like black bags and bags. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was fierce and that ferocity mm-hmm. drove me. And mm-hmm. um, I, from that point on, I only wanted to, to be in her court mm-hmm. uh, because it felt empowering and um so you know i read all the everybody else of course but um i was i was angry i was resentful i hated the misogyny in poetry i still do (laughs) and um and i've been outspoken about it but it's it's not enough you know like it's just not enough like women are dealing with a lot more then i was describing this to someone yesterday um the Going back to your question, the the influences, like I started mixing up my books um, in a way that I would revise differently by something kind of, might be a craft essay in the works or something, but something called muscle memory, right? So like, am I stacked to my right right now? I've got Bibbins, uh, Francis Etheridge Knight, Nathan McLean, Arya Aber, uh, oh, you thought this would be a date, which is my favorite title right now, Charles Russell Price. And then um, Rosemary Tonks, John Ciardi, Michael Casey, and Vesper Sparrows by Deborah Diggs. Somebody else, but oh, Intuzaki. Um So yeah, like I've just got people that are coming from every angle and it's meant to mm-hmm. confuse and it's meant to upset what I was reading because you get so attached to people. And you, you just have to put those books down and go read other people and read yeah. widely in the same way that you would consider yourself an educated listener of music. You listen widely, you listen to everything. And it's the same thing with poetry. If you're not meeting mm-hmm. everyone, mm-hmm. not just young people, not just old people, but a delicate balance of everyone. Yeah. Um, old and new dead mm-hmm. alive. Um, then it's just, it's, you I don't know if you're ever going to un, uncouple yourself from your first loves, you know, yeah. divorce yourself unlink yeah. your practice from them, because I'm never going to write a Larry Levis poem. I don't want to write a Larry Levis poem. Um, I want to have a Larry Levis moment of tender, awake, uh, <laughs> lyricism married with narrative and the meditative, um, uh, I think it was Jane, I want to do an interview with her, but it was Jane Springer, the poet, oh, came yeah. up with uh, the narrative triangle. So it's lyricism, I'm using my tweezers. I'll use a tootsie roll, my, okay. So in this top corner, we've got lyricism and then over here narrative, and then the triangle uh, ends with uh, meditative, like the thinking that comes forward. And in the middle, I kind of threw in you know, truth and beauty from keats and um but yeah muscle memory the idea of just reading so widely that you know you just have a constant uh changing stack mm-hmm. uh, next mm-hmm. to you but my influences right now um i've always been in love with deborah diggs and uh but i really like aria aber's book and mm. um, tenderness and 13 13th, 13th balloon that and um yeah. and shockley vivie francis and um, but I, I have to say, and, and I think it was Sean that turned me on to this because he's such a voracious reader with his newsletter and everything. Um, the to- the Rosemary Tonks story just blew me out of the water. Have you, so she, you know, was like the number one poet in the UK for a while back in, you know, it was, she would have, she would have been a part of the second wave, but in the UK and. Um, you know, she 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 lost her mind after two books to Christianity and burnt all of her art. And she had some nice art, and um, started handing out Bibles, you know, at a cafe. And and that's like this, that's the kind of poetry gossip version that you hear. What I love about her is um, how original it is, and how she loved Rimbaud and uh, this kind of. Uh, tizzy the urban tizzy i loved it and so um, her words were different she came Mm -hmm. from a very different background she was from money and uh she's definitely locked into a marriage that wasn't working and um so all of it feels like the language of escape and that's who i've been reading right now um although there's some troublesome colonial type moments (laughs) because it's 1960s Mm -hmm. 70s um but i try and you know something about that freedom at the same time as the excess because she's definitely from like my martinis to wet background you know and um you know I didn't grow up like that and so it's kind of exciting to me I ended up writing a poem for the new book about her um, and about students and about just something I don't know like I got obsessed with um when all the women poets start dying, I get upset. <laughs> so um, I'm like writing a poem about Jane Mead and writing a poem about talks yeah. and writing a poem yeah. about Intozaki. Like, um, We've lost know. too many. I mm-hmm. know. I know. So.
0: And young yeah. to me, they yeah. like young. I'm like, I'm sorry, sixties young.
1: What? Yes. Yes. And then I recently went through a thing where I was like, I'm, I used to be pretty good lyrically and maybe I should go back. And I started reading a lot of Dylan Thomas and really mm. highly lyrical poets. And uh, mm. I love, I just, I don't want to get word drunk. I want to get, <laughs> um, <laughs> I want, I want that. It's, Rosemary Tonk says to send the, to send the senses reeling. Really. Mm. So I loved that. And I um, always thought it was about being moved. You know, like if a poem doesn't move me, I'm just like, eh. you know, it doesn't do it for me. Um, and then after that language. So I do this kind of quick skim, like I'm looking at like a buffet and I'm just kind of like, oh, look at this turn of phrase. Look at this coupling. Look at what they're doing here lyrically. Um, you know, That surprises the hell out of me. And then I'll read the whole poem for pleasure. And if it if it sends me um, my senses reeling, then I know I found a part that I wrote.
0: Mm. yeah i agree i agree i think this would be the perfect moment if you would like to read um elegy for marina without the war and famine
1: Ah, oh, no one's ever asked me to read that one
0: i love that i'm asking you to read once <laughs> i'm like yes i'm the special <laughs>
1: reader where is, where is Marina?
0: I also think you're just a, a killer poet with titles. Um, there's <laughs> so many incredible titles.
1: Thank you. That's nice. Um, so I always want to, you know, save her as we do with our early favorites from mm. what is about to happen to her. And, uh, um, Joseph Brodsky called her Job in a skirt and, um, I don't know i just i want to help her i want to heal her protect her rescue her from from a different century from uh a different time and Mm. from poverty the poverty is what got me most um the way she ended her life um um, and just how she was she couldn't help her own children from starving to death. And that, you know, there's something about that that just I made me write this poem. So, Elegy for Marina Without the War and Famine. Job in a Skirt, Joseph Brodsky on Marina's Vitale. I want to know, Marina, what is left after this lonely, leggy pout has put years on us. Marina, Your grief-bangled eyes pull me into your rooms. Shake me, ask me about the swaying eyelets of your shoes. Ask me if I want some of the same. She'll never survive the cruelty of the age. You're at the bedside table scattering light again. Your body's on the sill, unlaced, white and green. The ocean fills and comes. Take me to you. We are indifferent and weary of luxury sunny checkbooks and potatoes too thank you you know it's like the last line is just like when you don't have to worry like you have enough money and you have enough food you know um we're we're indifferent and weary of luxury because we made it we're alive and we have what we need and i think that probably was informed by the early pandemic and being still in college (laughs) poor and uh um looking for work and uh, yeah
0: yeah absolutely thank you so much for i just Uh, her presence is so big in that poem
1: i'd like to write a a biopic on her um Mm -hmm. or something like that um i think people would like it
0: yeah yeah, no, I think so too. I think there's absolutely renewed interest. I think her her criticism is brilliant. Oh, I she mean, is brilliant. just some of the most. I mean, I her poetry as well, but um, I think it's incredible to have criticism that ages really well because it does not. That is not always the case. So, yeah. um, something really unusual um, and quite brilliant going on in her in her critical work. Uh, Laura, thank you so much for joining me today and reading me so many beautiful poems. And I hope everyone can get their hands on flowers as mind control. And we'll have links in the show notes so people can just one click order it and all that good stuff so they can find your poems as well.
1: Thank you for having me. Thanks for being It's been here. a pleasure. It's been and, wonderful.
0: Uh,
1: and you're a very good host. I felt very oh. comfortable. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: thank you.